Popping Collars Podcast presents T-Shirts and You, Partners in Freedom. Hi, I'm Ricardo Avila. You may remember me from such podcasts as Popping Collars and Popping Collars. Hi, Ricardo. Oh, hi, Liz. It's Betsy. Um, I want to show everyone how much I love Popping Collars by wearing your logo on a personal item of clothing. I'm curious, how do Popping Collars t-shirts get from your website to my door? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Betsy. You've just asked a mouthful. Well, it all starts here at poppingcollarspodcast.com. We let the folks at Red Bubble cook up some amazing concoctions with our podcast logo, including stickers, hats, coffee mugs, and yes, even t-shirts. And when the teas are just right, they get spit out from the internet into the real world. Ricardo, I have a friend who says there are no more t-shirts. Is he right? No, Betsy. Your incredibly wrong friend is just ignorant and has never heard of new merchandise. We have t-shirts perpetually being made in multiple colors and multiple styles or multiple fashion tastes. Shouldn't I just buy a book instead? Don't kid yourself, Betsy. If books ever got the chance, they'd take money off you and everyone you care about, and you would never get a t-shirt. Wow, thanks, Ricardo. I'll definitely get a t-shirt instead. Good choice, Betsy, good choice. Get your t-shirt at poppingcollarspodcast.com. Just click the link at the top of the page that says Popping Collars Merch and More and follow the prompts. You'll soon be the envy of all your friends. Pop, pop. The preceding ad is a work of fiction directly stolen from the television show The Simpsons. Popping Collars t-shirts will not make you the envy of all your friends. Books are not out to get you or your family. Greg adds these things because he thinks it's funny and doesn't consider the impact these statements have on people's livelihoods. Popping Collars is a silly little podcast that you should not take seriously, except when you should. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a Popping Collars side project where deserves got nothing to do with it. Well, hold on. What'd you say? I'm sorry. I had a hard time understanding you. Deserves got nothing. Deserves. Everybody's a a poet. I can't do it. Everybody's a poet. You've got to like, you got to clench your jaw. Like you can't open your mouth. You got to like kind of jut your jaw out, but then you still have to speak gravelly. It's hard to do a clint. Hard for me to do a clint. I mean, it's because the dentistry was so poor back then. Uh, Deserves got nothing to do with it when it comes to movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at the winner of the Oscar for Best Picture in 1993. Unforgiven. They dubbed me Unforgiven. That that's what I was playing in my head the whole <laughs> time I'm watching this. The I whole time. Me. I label you. Because it's just as growly. It's just as growly as the whole rest of the movie. When did that that song came out? Late 80s, right? Is that late uh, 80s? Yeah, was that on the black album? Unforgiven. Like, Inter Sandman? I don't know. 
I feel like whenever I'm just not sure, I'm just going to start mumbling on this this episode. When it comes to Metallica, though, uh, don't sleep on. They played a concert with the San Francisco like Symphony Orchestra or something like that one time. And uh, oh yeah, that album kicks ass. I love that album. Yeah. (laughs) A whipping? That's all they get after what they've done. Get out of here! It was a matter of honor. They're paying a thousand dollars to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? You English Bob. Outlaws were heroes. Well, I thought that you were dead. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just in Nebraska. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. Was as good as gold. My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. Say what? You don't look no meaner than hell, cold-blooded damn killer. I ain't like that anymore, kid. Thousand dollars reward, Will. Nobody's gonna come. So you still have that Spencer rifle, huh? Yeah. He's my partner. He don't go, I don't go. What's it come to three ways? Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. Are you really going to kill them, cowboy? I do not like assassins. Or men of low character. We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. There are a lot of savages! A bunch of bloody savages! Assassin! Oh, I guess they have it coming. We all have it coming, kid. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Unforgiven. Okay, uh, Betsy, I have a brief description of this movie. Would you like to hear it? Would love to hear it. William Money is a retired, once ruthless killer turned gentle widower and hog farmer, heck yeah, he's not a, a not a very good hog farmer. <laughs> not a the great hogs, hog farmer. The hogs keep getting the fever, Greg. They've got the fever for the flavor <laughs> of a Pringle. What do you of, think fevered bacon would taste like? It's, that's uh, great. It's, <laughs> well, you might enjoy it. it. Might be the last thing you eat. <laughs> fevered bacon. Uh, to help support his two motherless children. He accepts one last bounty hunter mission to find the men who brutalized a prostitute. Joined by his former partner and a cocky greenhorn. The last time I used the term greenhorn. <laughs> he takes on a corrupt sheriff. I think corrupt is a little bit like harsh for Gene Hackman here. But uh, Betsy, mm. what is your history with the movie Unforgiven? I did not see this in the theater I I think I was probably I don't remember when I saw this movie I know I've seen it at least once yeah because you had to have watched the winner right yeah but I have not traditionally been drawn to Clint Eastwood movies oh or to Western oh wow so, like, Man With No Name, Hang Him High, Pale Rider, not your jam. No, but then once, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I get drawn 
and I go to college and I hang out with the radio, television, and film majors. Then you learn about spaghetti western, blah, 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 genre, genre. Mm -hmm. And so then I learn about Clint Eastwood that way. Yeah. I so I came to Unforgiven late. Obviously, I did not see this in 1992, but mm. not long after 1992, I would say that like you know, yeah, this was one of those catch-up movies. Probably, you know what? I probably caught up with because westerns are good for children. These are good for children, American children. You can watch this well, at any age. I will say that I watched a lot of westerns. Like there were a lot of westerns coming out around this time. And I remember I remember going to the theater to see Tombstone. And I remember yes. going to the theater to see Wyatt Earp. I don't know. Does the postman count as a Western? It's not really, I guess. It's more of a dystopia. Yeah, true. But yeah, I was watching a lot, a lot of like the 90s Westerns that were coming out like as a teenager. But this one I probably caught up with at the video store. Probably like mm. once I started working at the video store, I came, came across it. Well, and this one's a little bit grittier. I mean, Tombstone's a little more polished. This definitely is no Young Guns. Oh yeah, Young Guns. So, young Guns too would have been like. Yeah, right. this is this is a little bit more. Yeah, this is a little bit, you know, in the genre. It's an extension of. Yeah, I think this is trying to do time. something else, but we'll talk about that. What are your general thoughts on the movie? What are your initial takes? I didn't really fully get aside from the fever comments that they were really in dire straits with their pig situation i mean maybe i was supposed to infer right is he viciously shot at a coffee can right the things were not great but i didn't quite get that we were in a, a real pickle that we needed to go pull this one more job. I enjoyed the complexity of the relationship that, that Clint Eastwood had with his wife, who's deceased, this character who we never meet. Right. Yet we get a full sense of their relationship. Yeah. And Cynthia? who he was before Claudia? Claudia? Claudia. Yeah. Right. And how he was fueled by alcohol and really had to to drink to do what he did. And mm -hmm. you know, he drinks and he's a better shot. And all of that sort of stuff. But where I really ended up kind of getting wrapped up in it was in kind of what Clint Eastwood has become mm. and looking at Hackman's character. Yeah. And this strong moralism and that life has these rules and that you are judged by those rules. You know, women who participate in sex work are judged mm -hmm. by those rules. Mm -hmm. Men who injure women and children are judged by those rules. Uh, people who don't surrender their weapons are judged by those rules. Right. And the world has those rules and limits. And if you don't participate in those morals, then you are, you are bad or you're not patriotic or you're not whatever. So now you look at the film's that Clint Eastwood has participated in as a director since this, there's this high, very high moral ground that he plants his flag in yeah, all the time he now. He gets there, right? Like, I would say, I mean, he's still pumping out, like, I mean, up until Million Dollar Baby, like, he's still doing 
I don't know. I would say really good sort of directing work. I mean, it's mm-hmm. he's one take Clint. So, I mean, it's going to be, you know, move it along. Maybe you don't get the best, you know, acting in whatever moment. But yeah, I don't know. Like, he, he's got some quality stuff. And then it's I think it's Grand Torino where it makes the turn. Right. Like, that's where he's like mm. really sort of he's pushing some kind of weird thing. But I don't know. The mule is pretty good i thought <laughs> like that's, that's but if i'm looking planet. at like i'm looking at like american sniper and fifteen seventeen yeah. to paris and yeah you know, and i'm looking at these and i think maybe some of that is us talking about his politics and talking right. about where where some of that has kind of gone mm-hmm. um i think also knowing that in his personal life he was not always most above board right. moralistic character either yeah you know um i can recommend you must remember this and some of his relationships with women and those sorts of things not not so not so hot yeah um, he seems very much to want to wrestle and likes to wrestle with the moral quandary and that that is the story of some of his work and so i find the presence of the hackman character particularly interesting and then you making the comment that he's well, not necessarily corrupt right but what is he then that's why that's probably that's probably my hottest take coming out of this mm-hmm. um is having watched it again this time and really played paid closer attention i think to the hacking yes. character mm-hmm. little bill uh i came away after this viewing thinking He's not wrong, actually. Like, he's not in the wrong. So, well, what are his goals? Like, he's trying to shut down he's trying a to bunch of assassins, mm-hmm. but they're not even really coming. I mean, I guess these cowboys are hanging out near his town. Right. They're not really in his town. Right. But he's just trying to shut down a bunch of people with guns. He does not want English Bob, the English Bobs of the world and stuff like that. Show up. Yeah. For this quote unquote boar's gold. Right. 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 Hello, Bob. Boys, this here's English Bob. Been a long time, Bob. Did you run out of Chinaman? Bill, Bill. Well, I thought you was, um, but I thought that you were dead. I see you shaved your chin whiskers off. I was tasting the soup two hours after it ended. <laughs> well, actually, what I heard was that you fell off your horse, drunk, of course, and that you broke your bloody neck. I heard that one myself, Bob. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just that I was in Nebraska. Who's your friend? W.W. Beauchamp. Beauchamp. This is little Bill Daggett. And friends, of course. Daggett. From Newton? From Newton? Hayes? From Eveline? In person? Well, I guess that means you boys can read. So I guess that means that uh, you saw the signs outside of town there saying, surrender your firearms. But like you told young Andy here, you're not armed, are you, Bob? Well, not really, Bill. Got a peacemaker. 
that wouldn't worry you, would it? I mean, if you don't see it, or most particularly if you don't hear it. I'm afraid so, Bob. I don't like firearms, sir. Now, was he taking people's weapons before this? So that's a good question, right? Because the the co- the cowboys had guns uh, yeah. at the, in the first scene. So, like, the cowboys had a knife, had a gun, right? Yeah. Um, so at no point were, were they sort of stopped and frisked or what? <laughs> that's right. Wrong. But at no point were they, were they ever stopped the way that everybody else who shows up in town was stopped. Right. Um, right. but also everybody else that showed up in town was a stranger. And so they sort of pinged the radar a little bit in a way that maybe these cowboys didn't since they had a ranch that was close by. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it's a good question of whether or not that was a new ordinance or not. The sign looked kind of new when you were coming to town. So, right. Um, yeah, in my opinion, looking at it now, like that opening scene, Hackman's willing to punish these guys for what they've done. It's not yes. until the bartender, you know, the the billiards owner, right? Um, it's when, quote unquote, right? Quote unquote, the billiards owner who doesn't own a billiard stable. Um, mm-hmm. It's not until he uh, raises the concern that his property has been damaged that then it becomes a property exchange, right? But even right. then, like if you're if you're looking at it from Hackman's point of view. Okay, fine. Then make it a property exchange. Exchange ponies for this person's property. Okay, fine. Bing, bang, boom, and we're out. You know, it's it's Francis Fisher. It's what mm-hmm. Strawberry Annie that wants mm-hmm. vengeance, and he can't justice. Tolerate. She would say, yeah, right. well, yes. and he can't tolerate like you know vengeful characters showing up in his town. Like that's just going to create like. I don't know, like another Deadwood or something like that. He doesn't want anything like that, you know? Well, and I think he probably sees it as, you know, these emotions of people getting the Mm -hmm. best of them, of women or whatever. That it's like, that's, doesn't make sense. He's about logic and, and rules and consequences. And I mean, listen, if he were a bad person, he would do violence against these women. He never, at any point, he never turned, like, he uh, he sort of, you know, verbally assaults them by saying, like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Stop doing this. Stop bringing this element into our town. But he never mm-hmm. punishes them. He never arrests them. He never does anything to them. They're perfectly free to go about their business. So he doesn't strike me as a bad person. He's just a law and order person, you know? I I came away from this viewing much more sympathetic for where Little Bill was coming from versus mm. probably the first time I watched it where I thought, oh, this is a bad guy. And he's a bad guy because he's doing bad things to the protagonist of the film. But the protagonist of the film is actually a really bad guy. Bad guy. And I think that's a lot of what's what's. Because I think it's it's a lot of what this is supposed to have you yeah. wonder and suspect. Yeah. Who is actually bad? Right. Yeah. Right. And then, and when you watch films where people get killed all the time, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the Schofield kid mm-hmm. who is, you know, I've killed five people and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, you know, he shoots one guy 
And he's like, that was the first guy I ever killed. I'm never doing it again. It was awful. And I'm just never going to do that again. And when you never see a character in so many of the movies that we've watched ever have that kind of reaction. Right. Taking yeah, life. No, no, nobody in Resident Evil. No one in Terminator life. 2 was thinking, right. oh, no, I will never do that again. <laughs> Michael Madsen wasn't thinking, I will never cut off another ear again. No, I am done now. <laughs> um, I have one other hot take about this movie. And this yeah, is the, this is this maybe as hard a take as Gene Hackman Uh-oh. had a point. I think this is a, I don't think this is a story about an actual person. Okay, so here's the thing. I understand the way that this movie is constructed. William Money is a man who lives in the middle of nowhere in Kansas and all of that. So I get it. I get it that that's what the movie is about. But I think this story is really about the angel of death, not a person. And I think William Money is is this sort of is this death bringer. And it's about this idea of what happens when death has a crisis of faith. Right. What happens when the angel of death who kills women and children and unarmed people and armed people and has no hesitancy over who it is that death takes. What does it mean when they have this sort of crisis of faith and they can't do their work anymore, but then they're reminded of what their work actually is and they go back to work again? That's kind like, of when they go into like remission or something for a period of time. I mean, you like know, he stepped out of the cycle. Of like, well, what if you weren't the angel of death, right? Like, what if you were something else? What if you weren't like, you know, um, this entity that takes life but what if you were something that gave life instead and i mean i'm starting to it's starting to sound like i'm describing meet joe black here but like i really do think that it has like these echoes of something a little more supernatural than what we're actually watching because there is something kind of sad about that element in this film death can you know yeah, death can't do anything other than bring death. And that's the thing. It's like um, there's that exchange when the Schofield kid says, I'm never going to do that again. And then there's like uh, that's not where they where he does the deserve it line. But that's where at some point um, William Money looks at him and says, we all have it common. That was the first one. First one what? first one I ever killed yeah you know how I said I shot five men it weren't true uh, that Mexican had come at me with a knife I just busted his leg with a shovel I, I didn't kill him nothing either well you sure killed the hell out of that fella today Hell yeah. I killed the hell out of him, didn't I? Take a drink, kid. got and all he's ever gonna have yeah 
Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming, Captain. And that's kind mm-hmm. of like where he, where the switch is turned in his brain. Once Ned has been killed and he's sort of heard the news of Ned's death, like something switches in him and he goes back to work. Oh, I do have one more note. This yeah. uh, this was the Oscars. So, okay, spoilers for a later category. Sorry. But this was the Oscars that Hackman won Best Supporting Actor, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was at this Oscars that they played, I think the the clip that they played of Hackman at the Oscars uh, when they announced his nomination was him uh, beating up English Bob, uh, Richard Harris. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hackman was so upset by what they showed on the screen that he swore off ever doing violent scenes in movies again. He was just so upset by it. I wonder if this movie led to his retirement. You know, not many actors retire from the business. That's not really something that happens. As a matter of fact, I could only think of Betsy. Oh, no. There we go. I could only think of about five actors. Let me guess. It's actually probably six. It's probably six. Oh, you're right. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why we always try to pretend it's five. I have an honorable mention. You're right. Oh, look at that. All right. So, Greg, so what is the category? The category is top five retired actors. Top five retired actors. All right. So, what? Who's your honorable mention? Honorable mention because he's not retired yet. But he has announced that he's going to be retired soon. Is Brian Cranston? What? Bonus, bonus fun fact. I will tell you what he went out on. Brian Cranston's last performance was in "It's Always Sunny on Sunny in Philadelphia." So, if he, Brian Cranston so, retires, that's going to be what he goes out on. I thought he was doing this show where he's a judge or something. He's announced that he's retiring in 2026. It's, it's still like a ways away, but he's he's announced that he's retiring. So oh, we'll see if it stays. Yeah, hmm. that's why okay. he's an honorable mention. He's not he's not permanent. Yeah. Okay. All right. So number five. So number five, retired actor Cameron Diaz, who retired mm-hmm. on the movie Annie. She went out on Annie. That was her last movie. The last movie. I like uh, that Andy remake, by the way. That was pretty it good. It was pretty good. Fox, it was yeah. pretty good. Um, so then uh number four. Number four was when Doris Day retired. She went out on her own TV show, the Doris Day show. That mm. was her yeah. Okay. All right. Number three. Number three, pretty famous retirement here. Sean Connery retired from acting. Mm. He went out mm. on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Tough movie to go out on. Poor Sean Connor. Yeah. Poor Sean Connor. <laughs> oh, that is just tough. That's yep. tough. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, number two. Number two, recent retiree, Robert Redford, who went out on oh. Avengers Endgame. That was the last thing that he showed up in, was a cameo appearance in Avengers oh. Endgame. I remember when we were watching Sneakers. Yeah. And that's what Ruby recognized him from. <laughs> and I was like, Dear God. Not Butch Cassidy. Nope. 
<laughs> not the natural. <laughs> not the way we were. At least she didn't recognize him from Indecent Proposal. You know, she had said, like, wait, is that the guy from Indecent Proposal? Not from the meme from, what is it, Gentle Ben? What's the meme where he turns around and does the wink or whatever? Uh, <laughs> what is that? What's that movie where he's the guy out of the woods? Mm, it could have been from there. I do not remember. Oh, oh that's so funny. Now it's going to bother me. I'm going to have to look it up. Vindy. Okay, so that's... A, that's number two. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so number one. So number one, retired actor. It's everybody's favorite. Daniel Day-Lewis is retired mm-hmm. from acting. He went out on Phantom Thread. That's actually not a bad one to go out on. That's a pretty good movie. That's not, that's not bad. It's yeah, not bad. Do you think he'll stay out? I mean, he's making shoes or something, right? Like, I think he's done. I think he's a, he's a cobbler now. That's uh, that's what he does. I mean, that's what he does. We're Daniel Day Lewis. What is it like to have a 19th century soul but live in the 21st century? I don't. It just must feel so weird for him to live life. I don't even know. The movie I was trying to think of is 1972's Jeremiah Johnson. Of course, Jeremiah Johnson. Yes. Gentle bitch. Yes. Yes. A great meme of Robert Redford turning and giving you a little wink. Nice. I love it. Uh, Betsy, what is the best scene from Unforgiven? I like anything with Richard Harrison. Mm. He's my favorite. I like him in the barbershop to the outside on the street, not with the beating up part. That's interesting. I like anything with Saul Rubinek in it. So, oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, the writer aspect is interesting. Yeah, yeah. kind of throwing there's in like a something. there's like a legend. I mean, right. we get into this a little bit, but like you know, there's facts and then there's legend, and I think it's man who shot Liberty Valance, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, print the legend. Yeah, and cursing, he reached for his pistols and would have killed him. But the duck was faster, and Hasselhead blazed from his smoking six guns. See, I consider that to be an accurate depiction of the events. I'll be all right. There is a certain poetry to the language which I couldn't resist. Uh, Mr. Beauchamp, I was in the Blue Bottle Saloon in Wichita the night that English Bob killed Corky Corcoran. I didn't see you there. No, no woman. No two gun shooters. But none of this. You were there? Yeah, I was there. First off, Corky never carried two guns. Oh, he should have. No, he, he was he was called a two-gun barber. Yeah, well, a lot of folks did call him two-gun. But that wasn't because he was sporting two pistols. You see, the night that Corky walked into the blue bottom, and before he knows what's happening, Bob here takes a shot at him. And he misses because he's damn drunk. Now that bullet wasn't by panicked old Corky, and he did the wrong thing. He went for his gun in such a hurry, he shot his own damn toe off. Meantime, Bob here, he's aiming real good, and he squeezes off another. But he misses, because he's still so damn drunk, and he hits this thousand-dollar beer up over the bar. But now, the duck of death is as good as dead, because Corky does it right. He aims real careful. No hurry. And... Bam! A Walker Colt blew up in his hand, which was a failing common to that model. 
Right. Well, well, because they're automatically, like right off the bat, we've got the facts are distorted. Right. You know, they gouged out our eyes and they, you know, and it's like, no, they didn't, you know. So like you're already dealing with. So then am I, is it true Mm -hmm. about what, if if we're already dealing with what the duck did and Mm -hmm. didn't do and that, that that seems to be distorted, then am I supposed to believe or everyone actually believes what William did? Mm-hmm. Is what William did, or is that true? Is it not true? I don't know. Right. Yeah. So mine is the Schofield kid and William Money waiting for the waiting mm-hmm. for the money to come, and sort of the we all have it coming scene. I just think it's mm-hmm. really good. Like, and you know, just like we were talking about with um, this idea of what's true and what's not. You know, finally the Schofield kid. He has actually killed someone and he realizes that it's not, it's not, you know, this uh, heroic, amazing image. He just, he shot someone who was on the toilet, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's pathetic. Everything about it is pathetic and there's Mm -hmm. nothing legendary about it. And so I think that like all of a sudden that's started the truth is being revealed in that moment, right? That yeah, all of this, uh, all of this death and suffering and stuff is—it's all pathetic. Uh, who's your best performance? I mean, it's hard. I'm not as enamored with Eastwood, so I think I enjoyed the complexity of Hackman. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's what I thought was like the clear runaway. Yeah. Yeah. Who's having to be the arbiter, the judge, the jury of this town? Mm-hmm. And I think gave, you know, a pretty fair portrayal of probably what it was like to be the sheriff in a town like this. Mm-hmm. When he's just really kind of, he's at the end of his time. Yeah, mm-hmm. for me, it was Hackman. I mean, you know, there's really, everybody's kind of great in this. Richard Harris is great. Morgan Freeman is great. Hackman's great. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Francis Fisher's great. Like, everybody's yeah. Everybody's doing a good job in this. I mean, Clint is Clint. Like, I mean, that's, he is who he is. Like, he's, he's Mm -hmm. a, like, I think he understood when he made this movie that he's basically, you know, a walking stereotype at this point. And he plays into that, it feels like, in this movie. Like, this is, this is, I think, in his mind, the last Western. Like, this is the pathetic end of the Western genre. And, you know, he plays the Western character that he's played for his entire life, you know? And, um, and so I don't think, I don't think he gave himself anything interesting to do really. Um, but everybody else comes off great. I thought, yeah. Even mm-hmm. Saul Rubinick comes off good. Yeah. I saw he got to clean his pants. <laughs> Poor Saul Rubinick. I got some stats about the movie. Ooh, stats, 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 stats. Unforgiven came out on August 7th, 1992. The end of the summer. This day in 90210. We have arrived at season three, episode four, entitled Sex, Lies, and Volleyball. Mm, I feel like we're at the beach club. Brandon and Steve vie for a pretty volleyball player's attention. God, gross. <laughs> and a photographer convinces Donna to take up modeling. Oh, no. Don't do it. Don't do it, Donna. 
how did teenagers survive in the early 90s? Just just pray from every angle. Just <laughs> people out to get them. Uh, Unforgiven had a domestic gross of $101 million, hmm. making it the number 11 grossing movie of 1992. Uh, that box office was bolstered by winning the Oscar for Best Picture. I can guarantee for it. Sure. It is the number 782nd top grossing Ooh. movie of all time between, all right, Betsy, you get Unforgiven. On one side, you get Noah, the, um, what's his face? The uh, Russell Crowe version? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, directed by um, Aronofsky, the Darren Aronofsky Noah. Yes, yeah. yes. Which is actually yeah. not that bad. That's, it's no, yeah, no. Uh, so you get Noah, you get Unforgiven, and then Betsy, mm, a movie that we're definitely going to talk about on this here show when it comes Uh-oh. to the- You get yeah. Con Air. Put the bunny back in the box. I knew you was a punk, and I was right. You've been playing us all along. You a free man. I said, put the bunny back in the box oh wow put the bunny back in the box con air wow nick hair flowing in the breeze this is quite the triple feature nick cage just trying to get home john John cusack and john malkovich He's trying to mess everything up. Nick Hayes he, has to stop. Steve, Steve Buscemi, he's in that too, right? Bing Rames trying to mess oh. everything up. Come on, Nick Cage. Okay. Bubba, Nick Cage and Bubba from Forrest Gump. <laughs> trying, oh my gosh. Okay, so I've got Unforgiven. Unforgiven, Con Air. Con Air and Noah. I'm going to flirt with Con Air. Mm. I'm going to kill unforgiven i'm gonna marry noah okay we are totally opposite on this oh my goodness what are you doing okay i'm gonna flirt with unforgiven because uh-huh. it's a great movie i'm gonna marry con air because it's one of the best movies ever in the history ever of- i know, I know. <laughs> in the history of movies they'd be fun to flirt with though there was a moment when my first daughter was born that I was rocking her to sleep in the living room and watching Con Air on repeat over and over again because it was in heavy rotation on HBO. I love Con Air. I love Con Air. Love is not even enough of a word for how I feel about Con Air. It's just the best. I'm going to kill Noah because, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's fine. It's really good. I use it in class. Con Air, Nick Cage's hands are lethal weapons. So he has to go to a maximum security prison for defending his wife. That is just genius writing. I don't know who wrote that. That is amazing. Amazing. You're right. It is. Incredible. Put the bunny back in the box. Con Air. I love it. Can't wait to talk about it. Uh, Mr. Given has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, whoa. Wow. People love this. Really? People love this movie. What do you think uh, Raj thought about it? Oh, I bet he loved it. This, Betsy, is a famous, a famous Roger and uh, Roger and Ebert. This is a famous uh, Siskel and Ebert split. 
Very famous. Oh, okay. oh I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who? What's the what's the divide? So Roger is on the love it end. He says, he's a sap. He says that mm-hmm. implacable moral balance in which good eventually silences evil is at the heart of the Western, and Eastwood is not shy about saying so. Four out of four stars. Now, let me just say, I think Roger fundamentally misunderstood this movie. If that- yes, I do. I think he misunderstood <laughs> this movie. Well, and if he if he said and. and- Eastwood wants to set that off balance from itself. Like, yeah. you know, if Eastwood wants to turn that on its head, yes, then that is more of the correct assessment. Siskel was very down on this movie. He was very down on this movie. Yeah. In what way? What did he say? Oh, I think he was, you know, he was upset by the violence. You know, Siskel was always more upset by violence than Ebert mm-hmm. was, right? So he was upset by the violence, upset by the um sort of uh moral dubiousness of the movie um right. you know stuff like that where it's like the villains you know are living in a gray area and the heroes are living in a gray area he didn't like mm. it i have no janet maslin and no rita kempley review wow no they just bailed on this movie i guess that wow not that's your winner nothing so I have a review from Kathleen Carroll, who writes okay. for the New York Daily News. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, what does Kathleen have to say? Kathleen says, Unforgiven is a high caliber movie, a gripping and haunting work of art that should finally establish Eastwood as one of America's best directors. There you go. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I can't wait until we get to Braveheart, where she's like, Braveheart is a high-caliber movie. (laughs) Gripping and haunting work of art. Gripping and haunting. How did Unforgiven do at the Oscars? Oh, my God, Betsy. (laughs) Okay. It won one, two, three. Four Oscars. It won four Oscars. Four Oscars. Okay. So it won Best Oscar, Best Picture. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hackman won. Yes. Why can't I think of supporting? supporting. So we've already established those two. Okay. Um, he didn't win Best Director, did he? He sure did. Oh, the best man. director. All right. Um, and then is it like sound editing or something because of all the close, shooting? Close. Uh, film editing. Film yeah. editing. Okay. Because, yeah, typically when there's a lot of shooting. But it was nominated for nine Oscars. So there are oh. five that it was nominated for that it did not win. Cinematography. Um, I'll r- rattle them off for you here. Okay, so, tell me. Best actor. For Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Okay. Weird, right? <laughs> okay. Weird. Okay. <laughs> so best actor, best original screenplay. Okay. Best cinematography. That one's legit. Actually, a pretty gorgeous movie to look it at. It is. Uh, best set direction mm-hmm. and best sound. All those raindrops falling on Gene Hackman's leaky house. You just shot an unarmed man. Well, he should have armed himself. He's going to decorate his saloon with my friend. You'd be William Money out of Missouri. Kill women and children. That's right. I've killed women and children. Killed just about everything that walks or crawled at one time or another. 
I'm here to kill you, little Bill. For what you did to Ned. Uh, we have arrived at what is the lasting legacy of this movie. Betsy, I've written down revenge pictures. Although we could talk about westerns, I guess. Because this is kind of like, like I said, I think this is Clint Eastwood's attempt at making the last western, you know. Um, but that don't work. It does not work. There are more westerns. So is this a genre that doesn't die? It's a genre that doesn't die, but it, it does go through periods of being dormant. You know, yes, I, I think what's it's been the most recent Western. Uh, well, I mean, it depends on it depends on how you categorize Yellowstone. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that's sort of a modern day Western. Now, that's a TV show. Um, well, you, according to your list, include that stuff all the time. <laughs> so you're pretty flexible over there. But I do think uh, there is something about the concept of revenge, you know, the the revenge pictures and movies. We actually mm-hmm. kind of hit on this a little bit when we talked about Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarantino has been making, he's been playing around with this idea of the revenge picture for a long time now, going back to Inglorious Bastards and Django and then once upon Bill. in Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea of like, well, yeah, Kill Bill is like the fantasy version of that. I'm thinking of like mm-hmm. how he plays with like getting revenge against history, you know. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a this actually is a story that has a long history in Hollywood. Uh, going back to some of the earliest movies, uh, there was a movie called Der Gollum, the Gollum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from Germany in 1920. That was basically a Jewish revenge film. It was like, you know, um, so, and this is before uh, the, mm-hmm. obviously, the Holocaust. Uh, yeah. But, um, but the, you know, the story of the Gollum is about, you know, this creation that um, gets away from you. The, the vengeance of this creation gets away from you and causes havoc in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that was, uh, that's, one of the oldest movies that we have and you know it's just something that kind of exists um throughout history we have revenge pictures now that we see all the time Mm -hmm. i don't know what's the uh what's the attraction of the revenge picture well i mean bring in your tale as old as time god god preferred abel's sacrifice yeah right and so you know cain was was jealous and and I think and that's that's the interesting thing about the the Eastwood character, right? We don't know what his motivation was for the things that he did right before. Right. And and we are always seeking justification because you know we we oh Ned's dead. That's mm-hmm. terrible and da da da. And we can kind of get behind that because we like Ned. Right. We know Ned. We don't know what happened. Yeah, it's all about women and children, and we don't understand any of that stuff. It's all about Um, kind of moving the moral goalposts a little bit, you know? mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. um, because you're right, when this story starts, the way that the the injuries are described to William, Money, and Ned is that, you know, her eyes are gouged out, she's lost an ear... She, her breasts have been cut you know, off. Breasts have been cut off. Like yes. you know, it's this, it's this horrible maiming, and that's actually how William Money gets Ned to come with him. 
is by describing the horrendous injuries that this woman has suffered and that, you know, justice demands that her, um, the people that did this to her, you know, are, are hunted down and killed. Right. And we get paid too. And we get paid too. Yeah. And the funny thing is before they even kill one of the cowboys, they've met the woman. They know that the injuries are not what has been described to them. And yet they still go through with the bounty hunting, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, and they also dangle in front of us, William potentially riding off into the sunset with this injured woman. Right. Yeah. You know, they have this, these loveless, lovely conversation several times. She's nursing him back to health. You know, the, you know, why did, why couldn't she go out and take care of those two children who were, you know, out on the, by their lonesome mm-hmm. with this, with the feverish pigs that there was a, there was a happier ending that, that was teased. Yeah. But he, he's the one that pushes away the happiness, right? Because he could Absolutely. easily say like, well, I'm a widow. My wife is dead. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but he lies to her so that he can push her away in that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, like all of the other women know that he's a liar. And mm-hmm. but she's just naive, you know, young and naive enough uh, to actually believe him. Who is unforgiven for Betsy? Old people. Yeah. I said dads. That's funny. Dads. <laughs> dads and grandpa. <laughs> I mean, how long had it been since he had made a Western? Uh, you know? Clint. So it would have been in the early 80s, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, it, he probably tried to get away from it, I'm guessing. So Outlaw Jesse, Josie Wales was like 79. I'm guessing it was something like Pale Rider, which would have been like 83, 83 or 84, probably. So it's been a while. But then again, it's like he's going to follow up Unforgiven with what? Like Bridges of Madison County or something? Which is like another... Pale, Pale Rider's 85. Oh, dang. Okay. So much later than I thought. Much later than you thought. And he's going to follow it up with... In the line of fire, I do like that. Oh, in the line of fire, Malkovich, Malkovich again, and then a perfect world, and then Bridges of Madison County, and then Casper, uncredited. What? <laughs> out of here. And Get then out of here. Bridges of Casper. <laughs> Make you wait for it. Make you wait for it. I just watched Bridges of Madison County for uh, our theology and film class not too long ago. Did you? Fan. Like that movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Streep right. is really good in that movie. I know you're just holding that for Space Cowboys. <laughs> Space Cowboys. That was the one where they dubbed their voices over the young actors, right? Yeah, I think so. That's hilarious. Um, what is your rating for Unforgiven out of five? My rating is a three. Wow, a three. Hang on. A three. Now you're down your list here. Oh, above or below the player? Above. Above the player. 
Uh, we're divided on this one, Betsy. Uh, I know. Uh, yeah, this is a masterpiece for me. Five out of five. No, yeah. it's the best. It's the best Clint Eastwood movie ever. Which I mean, I get, I get it. That's like saying it's the best Mel Gibson movie ever. But like, it's a really good movie. <laughs> like, I just, I just think it's, I think it's extremely effective. It plays around the margins of like beauty and horror. It's just great. I just think it's I, I I think it's really good. Every time I watch it, I'm like, this movie can't be that good. And then I watch it, I'm like, it's pretty damn good. Like Richard Harris is really good. Gene Hackman's really good. Morgan Freeman's really good. The story's really good. I can't hate on so, it. So glad. <laughs> so glad you like it. <laughs> I'm so glad you like it. Uh why did the Academy nominate this movie? Why did the Academy love this movie so much? They loved this movie. Holy cow. Because they're old. I guess. They love their old westerns. They do. This was a felt like a revival. And, and you know, it was probably a genre that they didn't recognize at the time. It's you know, it's the it's a gimme. It's a gimme in a way. Mm-hmm. This was like a big gimme year. Yeah. To some extent. This was a given that this was gonna win Best Picture. Yeah. Like this was like is this written? Oh, you finally made a Western we can give this to. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did Emily have to say about this movie? Okay. So I texted her. She said she has never seen it. Oh, wow. Emily. But she said, I remember the olds were freaking out to see Eastwood in a Western again. <laughs> oh, that sounds like something an old millennial would say. Then the <laughs> what do you think uh billy crystal said about this oh man he made uh he did a bunch of clint eastwood impressions as your host tonight and for the past three years just look out in this audience and see all of these great stars this is what it's all about it's clint eastwood how are you nine nominations unforgiven i'm a big fan you know that <clears throat> Clint, of course, played that ruthless character, and you know that he used those same tactics when he cleaned up that lawless renegade town of Carmel, California. <laughs> when he was the mayor there, there was Dodge, Tombstone, and Carmel. <laughs> it was Clint Eastwood who instituted the no creme brulee after 10 p.m. ordinance. <laughs> it's true. Only Clint Eastwood could stare at local resident and burr under the saddle, Doris Day, look her right in the eyes and say, Curb those dogs. I can tell I you. Bet he's a, the, and City did City Slickers. Did that already come out? No, that's right. Yeah. Well, when was yeah, that? Because when was this that was movie? the year that Marissa Tomei won Best Supporting Actress, and so cool. it was Jack Palance that. Okay, because we didn't talk about my cousin Vinny to your sister's deep. I know. Deep. deep. So City Slickers was ninety one. So this was, that was City the was the year before. So Jack Palance wins Best Supporting Actor for City. So Slickers. yes, so so he would so he give the award the to Marissa Tomei, right, right, for Best Supporting Actress the Actress. next year. And yes. you know, this is when. So what we've already talked about, Vanessa Redgrave was up. It was it was basically four British actor actresses and and Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei. And the conspiracy, as it goes, is that Jack Palance 
saw who actually won the Oscar and decided to ad lib that Marissa Tomei won the Oscar. Now, I think that's a bit mean. Marissa Tomei is a really good actress. Um, okay. Yeah, she's great. But it still exists today, a conspiracy that this was Jack Palance going rogue. And that's such BS. They would never allow that. We all saw the La La Land <laughs> situation. No, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, this was this was that Oscars. So, yeah, City Slickers would have already happened. It's a great conspiracy theory, though, as conspiracy theories go. I don't give Jack Palance that much credit. <laughs> No. That's it. We've arrived at the end of the book. Oh, we did it. One more year. Forgiven <laughs> in the books. Wow. Next up, Betsy. It's our fifth annual Golden Poppers. We have made da, it da, 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 da. the end. Da, 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 da. It's time to nominate hey. and celebrate the best of the year that was 1992. Uh, so next time, you will hear us talk about the Golden Poppers. Uh, should we invite Emily back on? She was a big hit. Oh, listen. She's got a lot of opinions. Maybe <laughs> we should. Let's bring we her will, back. We will maybe invite her back on. And maybe we'll reach out yeah. to a surprise guest or two. Maybe we'll, Ooh, maybe that we'll would reach be back out to Ann Hornaday. See if she can join us for uh, Ooh, Golden yeah. Poppers. Yeah. That would be, be fun. fun. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Betsy, thank you for stopping by my ranch uh, today. Now, can we finally get these hogs into their correct spots? What do you think? It's just reindeer, Greg. It's a little muddy. I don't know (laughs) whether... Here, let me go find a six-year-old girl to help me wrangle these hogs. (laughs) All she's going to do is watch. She's She's not going to do anything. I do think the kid's older than me. I'm going to give him at least 10, maybe 11. I think maybe he's slightly underfed. (laughs) <laughs> I think he's in double digits, but he's still not very helpful. All right. We'll see. We'll see what we do uh, with these hogs on the hog farm uh, later. Uh, next time, we'll see you for the Golden Poppers. Take care. See you next time. Oink, oink. Bye. Bye.